raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God, with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, I'm delighted to be here this morning at this celebration um, of the churches in sort of central Oxfordshire. it's sometimes a little bit difficult to keep up, but this time last week, Mark and I were in Bangalore, India. Uh, we have been leading a conference for a group of churches uh, across the nation in some of the major cities. Uh, we had a great time. Uh, it was very, very good indeed. Then we went on to Kerala, which is South India, uh, where we were in a college of trainee church planters, 187 students in this college, training to go up to North India to plant churches. If you know anything about India, you will know that the southern part of India uh, has been sort of well Christianized over the years. The northern part, there are still millions of people to touch uh, with the gospel of Christ. And you've got these rabid students training to go up north uh, and, uh, and share the gospel and plant churches. It was a privilege to be with them and try and ignite some Holy Spirit fires 
uh, in those young people. Uh, it was an intensive few days, which Mark will testify to. Uh, you go, you land, and you don't stop. It's just meeting after meeting after meeting, and it's great. And I have to say, one of the most difficult things about um, traveling the world and being in that intensity in conferences and meetings, worship meeting after worship meeting, and sort of leadership strategizing and all that sort of thing, is you can become very hard of heart and very matter-of-fact uh, about some exciting things, uh, you know, that are happening across the world in terms of the kingdom of God advancing. And one of the things that you constantly pray as you go in and out of meetings is, Lord, please keep me sensitive to you. Please keep me tender to you. And actually, it was while singing the song that we have just sung about eyes on you that I felt God met me again uh, in the context of worship uh, there in Bangalore. Um, it is easy for our eyes to sort of drift downwards. Uh, we lower our sights. We lose our perspective. Uh, we forget the things that are important. And actually, the simple things are the things that are really important. And eyes on you and eyes on Jesus uh, are really the most important thing for us Christians because it keeps us walking in life and in hope and in joy and in peace and all the clever things that we can think with our brains won't keep us there because our brains are full of doubts and other things as well and all sorts of questions and so on but somehow fixing our eyes back on Jesus is so much of the key to our own lives as Christians but also the things that we're engaged in in terms of mission and you know and seeking the Lord. I need to tell you a little story before I start because, um, well, it's today's story, if you know what I mean. Um, so I heard yesterday that the father of a close friend of mine was close to death. And now this close friend is a man called Martin Dunkley, who some of you know. Uh, he leads a group of church, churches that are part of our family up in the northeast of England, and I am Martin's personal pastor. I give him pastoral care and input and all the rest of it. So there's a journey I've walked with Martin for years and years now. And one of the things that has been difficult for him uh, over the years has been his relationship with his father. And Martin came sovereign to the Lord, to the Lord when he was a student at Manchester University. Um, but he had no sort of church background. Um, and... Uh, having become a Christian and then becoming a doctor, but then becoming a pastor, I mean, his father was quite cross that he was throwing away, you know, a lot of the training that he'd had and that sort of thing just to lead a church. Um, and so it's been an interesting relationship and there's been, you know, quite a lot of difficulty in it. And every time Martin has tried to uh, share the Lord Jesus with his father. His father has responded very aggressively, and I don't want any of that. Thank you very much. And so it's been very, very difficult. For 37 years, Martin has walked with the Lord and prayed with his, about his father finding salvation for 37 years. He said, I prayed probably three or four times a week for that to happen. Uh, he's in hospital at the moment, may well 
pass on sometime this week. Um, Martin's daughter, Abby, has probably been the one who's been able to get at her grandfather a little bit. Martin spent all night in hospital last night uh, and uh, tried to talk to his father again. Daddy, are you ready to receive Christ? You may meet him soon. Uh, I've told you, I'm not ready. I don't want it. There was a change of shift this morning. Martin went home. Abby, Martin's daughter, came in and she said, it was as though Grandad was saying to me, are you going to ask me again? And so Abby sort of said, Grandad, you know you might not have very long. Are you ready to receive Jesus yet? And he said, I am. And at, and at, at 9.20 this morning, uh, Martin's dad gave his life to the Lord. After 37 years of prayer, after resisting sort of right to the end, and, uh, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm just full of that one this morning because he's a friend of mine, uh, you know, and we walked the walk uh, with him over the years. And now, whatever happens over this next few days, uh, you know, the end is determined. Sometimes we lose the importance of even our eternal, uh, our eternal life, our eternal destiny, our eternal hope. We become very this-worldly. And to fix our eyes back on Jesus is so important. Stay soft to him, etc. And it's that that I want to talk about this morning because I felt this is what touched me last week. So I'm trying to touch, I'm trying to talk not out of some sort of brilliant theory about some passage of scripture, uh, but something that is so essential for all of us. And I'm praying that God will have his way. Um, so, I want to suggest to you there are four directions we need to look in this morning, and the first one is very simple. We need to look up to get focus. Look up to get focus. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 4, you say, uh, you know, it's not time for harvest yet. It's not time to see people come and find life in God uh, four months more and then the harvest. That was obviously a local proverb. It's just not time. And one of the things that we do quite often is to sort of have our own time. Thing. Well, it wasn't really time to share the Lord with them. It wasn't really time to pray with them. It wasn't really time to do this. And Jesus said, I tell you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are white already for harvest. They're white and there's something about lifting up our eyes and recovering perspective and recovering a sense of focus again. And Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, he says right at the beginning, he said, since you've been raised with Christ, uh, set your heart on things above, lift your eyes up there. Now, there used to be an old proverb about some Christians that they were so heavenly they were no earthly use. Uh, that is not what the Apostle Paul would say. He would say, you're going to be more earthly use if you've got a heavenly perspective and you understand what Jesus is seeing and, uh, and what's important to him and what he counts as important. And so he, said, he says, look up, keep your eyes fixed up there. There's a right focusing on things above. I'm a bit concerned about Andrew Clark because he's right behind that pillar and so I'm going to move this way just so that you can see a little bit. And the, your neighbor behind you who I don't know. But anyway, God bless you. Um, 
I, I hate people hiding from me. Um, <laughs> anyway, I can't even remember, I can't even remember what I was saying then, but, but Paul is saying, you're going to, you know, be fitter for life and for the Christian life if you keep your eyes fixed up there on the things that are important to Jesus. And then he says, oh, oh, and by the way, there's some earthly behavior that you need to put off. It's like a a coat that you need to take off. And I did think about sort of putting my coat on and then taking it off and all that sort of stuff. But you don't need that sort of illustration. He said, there's some things you need to take off because they're earthly things. And if you if you keep your eyes fixed on the things above, you will see that they don't fit in God's presence. They don't fit in God's scale of things. You used to live this earthly life, you know, which had you know, a whole list of sins here, which I'm not going to go into particularly, uh, with all the old behavior, divisions and prejudices, but those things do not belong in God's presence, in God's perspective and where God wants to go. He's looking for us to put on kindness and patience and forgiveness. I wonder if you ever find yourself dragged back. I have to confess, when someone cuts me up on the road, uh, impatience can creep in faster than patience for sure or you know lack of understanding intolerance etc et do, do you find yourself in those sort of situ situations when you're trying to get a response from someone you know over something you bought that isn't working and you're fighting for you know and uh, and you start thinking bad things instead of good things. Can anybody join me in that sort of... Yeah, you, under, you understand. I'm talking to the right people. And we're dragged back from those things. And Paul says, look, 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 look. Don't think that's normal. That's earthly, but it's not heavenly. So that unheavenly behavior needs to be taken off so that we can put on heavenly behavior of how would you like to be heavenly? Yeah, thank you. I've got, I've got one person who'd like to be heavenly. Not, not many more. You're all sort of wanting to be very normal, practical, earthly beings. God's looking for a few heavenly ones around. Uh, you know, that we really do understand that our life is in him and our hope is in him and our joy is in him uh, and our holiness is in him. Everything's in him. And the closer we keep to him you know, the better we will be able to live the life that he calls us to. He says, let the peace of God rule in you. Let the peace of God rule in you. Who here can easily get stressed or anxious? <laughs> okay, with a few hands going up here. They didn't own up the bad behavior, but stress isn't seen as a sin in quite the same way. It is, by the way. I'd just like you to know it's failure to trust in God. Anyway, just thought I'd lob that one in. Uh, <laughs> it's a bonus. Um, but you can be free of it with the peace of God being breathed into our lives uh, by, the Holy, by the Holy Spirit. Let the peace of God uh, rule in your hearts. Isn't that what we want? That the peace of God, the, the, you know, the, sense, the sense that God is in charge uh, should be ruling in us. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. In place of the worries, opinions, and doubts of people all around us, 
I'm, I'm feeling in a scurrilous mood this morning. And I'm trying to think, do I, do I throw something out or do I... You know, the ecologists, the ecologists would cause us to live in fear. I want to suggest there's a right way of being good stewards of the earth, but we don't need to live in fear because God is in control. And he's in control of the present and he's in control of the future and he will help us find right solutions for the future. And fear is definitely not part of the portion that we Christians are supposed to carry because we're trusting him to help us steward his world. Uh, and so we don't live in fear. We might live with a great sense of stewardship, but we don't live in fear. Uh, but the media wants you to live in fear. And colleges want you to live in fear. And Christians don't need to live in fear because that's earthly but not heavenly. So we want to look up to help us get focused. You might think, where on earth is he going next? I'm going to stop just there. So, but one of the things, one of the things, the Apostle Paul says, you need to look up, fix your minds on things above, on God's will, God's purpose, God's life, God's spirit, what God wants, what God has planned to do. I think the rest of what I want to say will make sense in the light of that, but that's the starting point. I want to suggest to you that we need to look back. It's helpful to look back to refresh our faith. We are living in a situation where the gospel is not advancing very much in Europe. But in the past, there have been huge waves of the power of God's Spirit that have come across Europe, swept across Europe, and have changed the nations of Europe by the power of God's life moving in them. And one of the things that we need to do occasionally is to look back and sort of say, so, so what are the things that cause us to have faith now? Now, if you are a trend spotter, looking at what's happening now around you, you might not be very encouraged. And I'm not going to talk about Brexit, because uh, that's only part of the picture of a culture in Europe that is walking in a totally different direction from one that it used to work in. But, but it's helpful to look at times of revival and say, actually, you've moved like this in the past. Now, now, Lord, please can we see you pour out your power. And this is part of trying to get God's perspective on things. One of my sort of favorite... I, am, I do read about revival, and I'm a revivalist, so I'm, I'm going to put my sort of... Uh, uh, my, my stall out there. I believe if we do not see God do something significant in our day and in our nation and across Europe to move in revival, we will keep plodding on as we are, but the tide will be going out on our faith. And we do need God to do something more significant than probably any of us have any, ever seen anywhere in our lifetime to see God move again by his Holy Spirit and bring revival to Europe. Now, there are places, and I've had the privilege of going to some of them, where you see revival fires burning in other nations. I had the privilege of visiting the nation of Argentina many years ago. It was a powerful revival going. Just a handful of years ago, I was in the nation of Algeria, you might not think that's a very hopeful place for a revival. But in the Kabylie region of, of Algeria, 
uh, an Islamic nation, there is a sort of area, a swathe of probably about 30% of the population who are born again, spirit-filled, Jesus worshippers in that nation, seeing powerful, powerful miracles. I went there with a friend of mine, Jean Pianil, a few years ago, and he said, I want you to see this, because this is, this is unusual, this is special. And it was Jean's heart to sort of get me in touch with things that God was doing, which was, you know, a, a great blessing to me. We arrived there on the Thursday night, went up into this Kabylie region, and we were staying in the pastor's home. Very humble home, one downstairs room, an upstairs kitchen and bedroom. We were sitting in the, sleeping in the sitting room downstairs. Bathroom was outside in the yard. You know, it was that, it was that sort of place. There were six young men who said, you've got men of God coming to your house. Can we also sleep in the sitting room with them? So in this sitting room, there were not just us three on the team, Jean and a guy called Mark Gallagher, who some of you know, and I, um, but, but six young men who were desperate to sort of touch something of God in us if they could. Uh, I don't know whether they did, but that's, <laughs> that's another story. We're sitting there talking on the Thursday evening, and one of the young men says to another, are you going to give your testimony tomorrow? This young man says, well, I don't know. Um, I'm a bit embarrassed about it all. And we said, so what's the testimony? Well, this guy had been to hospital, uh, had a, he'd had a, a motorcycle accident, gone to hospital, he'd had his legs set because they were broken in several places, and they'd had metal rods put all the way sort of through their legs, his leg, effectively. It was very expensive. The saints had gathered around to help him, because obviously no health insurance, that sort of thing. Uh, and, and then they'd also prayed for healing, uh, because it was, they, the fractures were bad. Um, he went back a few weeks later uh, to have x-rays to see how the healing was coming along and possibly to book an appointment to have the metal rods taken out. When he went there, had the, uh, the x-rays, um, first of all, his legs were declared to be completely whole. Secondly, there was no trace of any metal rods there at all. Well, that saved a few quid. No, mate, seriously, that saved, that saved a lot of money for the treatment. That was his testimony. And they said to him, you can't be embarrassed about that. That was a miracle of God. We need to hear your testimony. There are places in the world where God is moving powerfully. You will hear stories like that coming from China. You will hear stories like that coming from all sorts of different nations. God, by his spirit, doing things. And one of the reasons why we, we look around at all of that and we look back at some of the revivals is it helps to build our faith that God can once again send in waves of his spirit that will change the spiritual landscape all around us. Eyes on him. Not eyes on us, not eyes on what we see, not on the questions that are going around, not on the sexual and gender issues that we're facing in our society today, but eyes on him. <laughs> Anybody say amen to that? Thank you very much. Um, the Moravians. What a great story. This, this move of God that started in the Czech Republic, led by a, gal, a guy called uh, Jan Hus, Hus um, and then moved into Germany 
and it was a guy called Count von Zinzendorf who sort of acted as the focus for this significant move of God and a group of people called the Moravians. It was they who started a prayer meeting that lasted for a hundred years. A prayer meeting for revival. A prayer meeting for God to do something new by his Holy Spirit. And out of this group of people flowed a passion for mission. One in seven of those people became missionaries overseas. The other eight who were left became missionaries where they were. It was a powerful move of God, and it led to hundreds and thousands uh, coming to Christ. The Great Awakening. I I love stories of the Great Awakening because, of course, it concerns the city of Oxford as well. Uh, We have, and I hope If you never have done this, you one day take a spiritual tour of the city of Oxford and see where John Wycliffe was, where the Oxford Martyrs were, where Wesley was, where Whitfield were, uh, and many many more. C.S. Lewis, etc. All of them have heritage in this city, and we have a heritage in them as well. And, uh, I mean, I love the story of the Great Awakening, which was which was stories of George Whitfield. George Whitfield was a student in Pembroke College, John Wesley, a student in Christ Church. Uh, and, and around them, of course, there was a thing called the Holy Club where they, they prayed, they got into God, but they weren't born again. Eventually, George Whitfield uh, did get born again. Then later, John Wesley did get born again. Uh, they were Anglican vicars at the time. Well, praise God, we get some vicars and church leaders born again. That's good. Um, I'm not being at all negative about that. Look, it was George Whitfield who first started sort of saying, it's all right preaching in church, but most of the people aren't there. So we've got to get out of church. Uh, And we've got to take the gospel out of church. And he was the one who first started preaching the gospel in open air meetings, meetings of minors, sort of here, there, and everywhere, out in the fields. Powerful story. He was a brilliant preacher. John Wesley, he was the one who said to John Wesley, I don't know what you're preaching in church for. So few people there. Why don't you get out, for goodness sake, and go out in the nation? And that's, where, that's what started John Wesley going out and preaching in the nation. <laughs> and this was a powerful move of God. Parallel to that in the U.S. was a move of God led by a guy called Jonathan Edwards. Uh, And these three had a lot of kinship and inspired one another. Uh, The reason I like this story is because there are also those connections, not just sort of one loner who does it. There's something about what God is building up together. Uh, Some of you have heard me say this, but Jonathan Edwards was a an amazing guy, had incredible anointing on him, but he was almost blind. And he, uh, he read every word of his sermon like this. You wouldn't even see much of his face. But there was such power when he preached. It was absolutely amazing. <laughs> he it was who said, resolution one, I will live for God. Resolution two, if no one else does, I still will. <laughs> Don't you like that? Um, George Whitfield said, it's a poor sermon that gives no offense, that neither makes the hearer displeased with himself nor with the preacher. George Whitfield said, if you're going to walk with Jesus Christ, you're going to be opposed. In our days, to be a true Christian is really to become 
a scandal. And some of these great quotes from these guys who are in the midst of uh, revival, very, very powerful. But when we sang the song that we started this morning's meeting with, we're going to see Jesus lifted high, why would you believe that? Is that just a sort of wish-type song? Or are our eyes so fixed on Jesus that we understand he wants to come again, and if there are people who are committed to him with their eyes on him, in prayer to him, and understanding the promises to God, which I'm coming to, um, that, that we do believe we're going to see. And you finished off with that verse, we're going to see Jesus lifted high. I did wonder if the volume went down at that point a little bit. Whether there was, we had the conviction. And what we've got to do is to lift our eyes up on G, to Jesus again. See, well, if he's doing things around the world, if he's done things in the past, he can do these things again. Why not? So we need to look up. We need to look back. Welsh Revival has all sorts of stories like that as well. As people rooted themselves in prayer, first and foremost, to see God touch that nation. And prayer and discipleship are always keys for revival movements, which leads me on to the next thing, which is we need to look around in order to refresh our prayer. Now, I don't know if the numbers help or not, but today, 30.1% of the world's population is Christian. I want to say that because it may be that you think secular humanism is, willing, is sort of winning the day. Atheism is winning the day. That is absolutely not true if you look around the world. Please, somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Thank you. Because <laughs> it's just not like that. And, and, and because we see things in front of us, you know, we're watching the news and the trends which are commented on and all the rest of us. We're tempted to think that Christianity is on the decline. It is not. So, hallelujah for that. Islam, there is a, you know, a strong committed following to Islam. It's about 24%. And perhaps the scary fact of this is they're producing, reproducing faster than we are. Good plug for, plug for large families, but that's something else. Um, in Europe, there are now less confessing Christians than there have been. But in South, South America, Sub-Saharan Africa, and Asia, China, even India, although they're going under incredible hardship at the moment, uh, there is significant growth. The fastest growing church today is in Iran, as some of you know. It's amazing. And I read an article recently, and it was one of those things I posted around. I don't post a lot on Facebook, but this one was worth it. Uh, it basically said, Ayatollah Khomeini is the best evangelist for the Christian church, because so many people are disillusioned because of his leadership. That might have been slightly facetious, uh, but actually what is happening today is that many... Uh, Muslims are becoming disillusioned with the faith that they have espoused in the past. So 
if we look around at what's happening, that gives us grounds to refresh our prayer. Now, we might be in one of the harder spots at the moment. Europe is not a soft spot in terms of faith. It's not a faith-filled place at all. It's full of us, ourselves, our achievements, and it's a secular humanistic spirit that dominates it. It's why some people want to be out of Europe. Unfortunately, we can't dissociate ourselves from that spirit because it rules in our nation as well. But still, as we look around, it's not the dismal view that you might think. So we're looking up to focus ourselves in Christ and Christ's kingdom. We're looking back to see moves of God that he has, uh, you know, he's swept nations with in the past. And we're looking around saying, actually, if we have a right view of things, it's not that bad. Perhaps this is a time to push in prayer. Now, that's the conclusion that has to come out of seeing that, the realities of what's going on in the world. One reason why we have to push in prayer is because Europe is behind the curve in terms of spiritual life. If we don't pray for Europe, who will pray for Europe? If we don't pray for the UK, who will pray for UK? So that's something we have to engage in. We're engaging in prayer. We're pushing in prayer. Now, at some point this morning, I can't remember even who it was, talked about Bambury and Bister. I think we need to start pushing in prayer for Bambury and Bister. I think we need to start pushing in prayer again for the Lees. Thank you. I think we need to start then pushing in prayer for Oxford. We want to see strongholds come down. But they will not come down. They will not come down without a push in prayer. And without us taking prayer seriously. And one of the things that happened in lots of these revival movements is that people met to pray. They met to pray. Now, when we meet to pray, we talk more than we pray. Is that true? Hello? Yes. Now, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to accuse anybody else. I'm part of this. Okay, but we often talk more than we pray. We set a special prayer meeting for something that we're doing, and it probably is about 10%, 5% of the church who will come to our special prayer time. Which tells us, and this is very difficult for church leaders to, to handle, and I can say something about this because I'm not actually leading one of the churches at the moment. Right, so I'm, I'm, I'm speaking for them, but it's very, very difficult for church leaders to say, please come to this time of prayer if the passion's not in our heart, if the desire is not in our heart, if the vision is not in our heart, for God to come in a more powerful way. And of course, you might have to pray for two or three years without seeing anything. That's the story of revivals, that you prayed for two or three years before you saw anything at all. Uh, you know, then we're going to have to get committed to that sort of prayer and see that the prayer to push forward the kingdom of God is one of the most important things we do. As, as we lift our eyes to what God wants, to his kingdom coming in the earth, and we see that, well, all isn't lost, but we need a great push forward in our day. Some of us follow Ben and Michelle 
in the West African country that they're engaged in. A bit of news came through this week, which is just very encouraging. They go back to the town that they were first in, uh, where they saw half a dozen people come to Christ. Ben went back there just before Christmas. There were about 40 or 50 there. Now about 60, 80 to 80 to 100. Thank you. Can anybody, should we just give God a clap for what he's doing? Yeah. The Africans have a principle that when you clap people, you clap like that. And when you clap God, you stick it up here and you clap up here. Let's, can we give God a clap for what he's doing? Thank you. They're working in an Islamic nation, saw half a dozen you know, disciples form a few years ago, had to flee that city. God takes care of his people. God multiplies his people. Now 80 to 100. Ben goes back. Ah. <laughs> Who's been praying for them? Yeah. Well, God bless you for your prayers. Because the reason that's happened is that people have been praying for them. Not only here, of course, but in in the States where Michelle comes from and other connected friends and, and all the rest of it. But this push in prayer, I have, a feeling, I have a feeling it's time for eyes on Jesus again. You say, God, we're looking for more. We're not content with this. We need to see more. Uh, I hope that there are times when frustration comes into your heart and you think, is this it? It's not. <laughs> it's definitely not the end of the story. It's not what God wants to do. He wants to do far, far more than this or that we have ever seen. He wants an abundant outpouring of his spiritual life, of revelation of who Jesus is, of the gospel and the power of gospel to change people's lives and to heal them as we've been talking about today. And I want just to finish with this. It's time for us to look forward. Why? Why can you be... Uh, an obsessive prayer for revival. Now, that's a question that I have lived with for several years because I keep praying for revival. And please, I'm not setting myself up, to, uh, up as any, anything at all. It's just, it's, but if something grips your heart, it grips your heart. Why? Can we be obsessive prayers for revival? Why do we believe God wants to do more? Now, if you are a trend spotter, you are not going to be highly encouraged in your faith. Because when Christians believe something, they believe sort of like hope against hope. They believe against all hope. Lorraine and I were reading... Just yesterday in our personal readings, the story of Abraham from Hebrews chapter 11 and how, you know, he's almost dead and Sarah's barren and, and yet they believed God. That God had spoken about their offspring being like the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the seashore. And they believed it. No evidence but they believe God had given them a promise. Now, that's something of what being a Christian is like. I mean, we do have evidence of his blessing along the way, but there's things that we believe against all the evidence of what we see because we believe God.
God said it, and when God says something, he will do it. And I know that in your personal lives, many of you have said, I believe God said this to me, and you've stuck out for it, and God's done it. Many testimonies in this room like that. Well, there are, there are promises. Let's just look. You don't need to look. I'll read it to you. Isaiah chapter 2, first of all. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 to 3 says this. And this, by the way, is repeated by Micah in Micah's prophet, uh, prophecy. That's interesting. We don't know who prophesied it first, interesting enough. Who borrowed whose prophecy? If you've ever borrowed anybody else's material... You're not supposed to, but occasionally you think that's a good one. And, and we don't know whether Micah borrowed Isaiah's prophecy or Isaiah borrowed Micah's prophecy, but here it is, Isaiah chapter 2. In the last days. Now, the last days, well, we're nearer the last days than they were then. Let's just put it that way. Don't need to argue about it with you about you know, whether it's here now exactly, but we're nearer. The mountain of the Lord will be established as the highest of the mountains, it will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. In other words, true believers in Christ, that faith will supersede every other faith. Actually, you don't need to worry about the rise of other faiths, because God's kingdom will outclass them all, will supersede them all, will do better than them all, <laughs> because that's what's promised. This is the Bible, the Word of God here. Do you believe it? It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will... Why do I have hope for God to touch people in the nations and for closed nations to become open nations? Because <laughs> it says it here. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He'll teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. In other words, not only will the nations go up, but God's word will go out. Two-way traffic. Nations come up, the word goes out. This is a promise now, of, see, this nation, God's people, was one of the smallest nations around. That's why it's a miraculous promise. Okay, sometimes you might think, well, we don't seem to be very significant or to have lots of influence. No, but there's a promise spoken over us. And it's a promise of God, and it will change our fortunes. And then there's Habakkuk. Now, just forgive me while I sort of shuffle around here. I can never find Habakkuk. Do any of you find trouble with the smaller prophets? Yeah, there you go. Be encouraged. <laughs> Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled with the knowledge. Do you look forward to that day? There's some things that are spoken of as though they were acknowledged these days. I have a feeling they will fade somehow, somewhere, as the knowledge of the Lord takes prime place, front and center stage in the earth. 
Now, this is why I'm an obsessive prayer for revival. Because there are promises in the word of God that we can build our faith and confidence on. That's all I want to say. So I want to encourage you to look up, to get focus, get close to Jesus, what he wants in your life. Let his, let his peace fill you. Let his message dwell in you. Look back to refresh our faith. Look around to refresh our prayer. And look forward to the Bible promises. Now, in a moment, we're going to sing that song again that we sang earlier. I simply want to invite anyone who feels that there's been a call this morning to you. In other words, have you lowered your sights? Have you let your sights be lowered for the sort of life God wants you to live? Have you accepted earthly behavior rather than heavenly behavior? Is there a coming back to Christ that needs to happen today? If so, I want to invite you to come forward while we sing the song, just as a way of saying, actually, I need to fix my eyes on him again. I've lowered my sights, I've lost my way, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And the great thing about coming back is there's grace from God. He doesn't accuse, but he wants us to see him and him to take center place again. Is passion for Jesus, has that been diminishing? Well, come back. Come back, be honest. Is faith for the kingdom filling the earth no longer vibrant? Is your prayer diminishing? Are you in tune with God's purposes? Well, look, perhaps it's time to lift our eyes again. Look beyond ourselves. Actually, I want to fix my eyes on you again. Get my focus clear. Get my vision clear. Get my faith clear. Has my prayers been feeble? Well, you know how difficult I find it, but Lord, please help me to be one of those people who bring in revival rather than just be an observer.